If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you pray with me? The state wanted to kill Julius Jones But God, that's one of the things we said and heard this week, Holy One. And to be fair, the commutation of Julius' sentence did seem like some kind of miracle, given where we live and who holds the power. Yet there are other ways to finish the phrase that also feel painfully true. But God didn't make it any easier. But God let the self-proclaimed pro-life governor draw it out to the very last few hours. But God didn't seem to mind that a white kid took an assault weapon across state lines and killed two people only to be found not guilty this week. It can feel like maybe we shouldn't say, but God, at all. Except that faith is not about a specific outcome. It is not thinking of you as the puppet master in the sky. No, faith, faith is the sure and certain hope that love will see us through. So it is that we say the powers and principalities may try to silence the cries of injustice, but God is still speaking. We are weary and worn from the fight, but God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Putting an end to cruelty and oppression may seem impossible, but with God, all things are possible, even if they aren't immediate. But God, but God, but God. Let us indeed hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Love will see us through. We pray in the name of our teacher, Jesus. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. 
John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. I mean, there is nothing like a little bit of the book of Revelation just before the holidays, am I right? Apocalyptic texts are not necessarily the obvious choice for the Sunday before Thanksgiving, but considering that most kids are out of school for the entire week, some parents think it sounds right. Oh, the book of Revelation, I really don't mind preaching from it, although it is a challenge to distill any part of it, no matter how small, down into a 15 to 17 minute sermon. I mean, just look at the four verses we read today. It would be hard to get more theologically dense than this passage with its loaded language of Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Yikes. The lectionary saves this text for Christ the King Sunday. That's today, in case you just wandered in. The last Sunday of the church calendar is today. The first Sunday of the church year begins next Sunday when we enter the season of Advent. But this morning is like New Year's Eve at church. And to celebrate, we bring out a text that appears to have been written by someone who's had a little too much to drink. I mean, that's not entirely fair. First of all, John, the author of Revelation, had no idea that in 1925, Pope Pius XI instituted the observance of Christ the King Sunday because, quote, followers of Christ were being lured away by the increasing secularism of the world. And the most generous interpretation of both John and Pope Pius and their words is that they were both trying very hard to remind folks that our ultimate allegiance is not to Caesar or any other earthly ruler, but to God. And to be clear, this includes elected officials. Second of all, this is an apocalyptic text, a letter sent during a time of fear and despair written to a very specific group of believers at a particular and challenging moment. We see that in the text itself. This is a word rooted in the experience of a specific person, John, who has been exiled for his faith to the island of Patmos. His audience knows all about kings and kingdoms or emperors and empires 
and the oppression that they bring. Condemnation of the Roman Empire, its ruler and its practices, permeates the book of Revelation. But all of this is done using metaphor and symbols, violent imagery, and very, very, very coded language. John is the gold standard for creative writing. He describes the empire as beastly because it blends idolatry with domination. And he characterizes it as a prostitute because it so effectively turned diplomacy into economic exploitation. We, of course, are in a time when all manner of things tug at us to turn them into idols. And we know, too, about fear and despair, not to mention apathy and disillusionment. One in three Americans have felt the direct effects of climate disasters this past year. Partisan tensions and the COVID pandemic continue to fray our communities. This week felt like an entire year. Would Governor Stitt take the recommendation of the Pardon and Parole Board and commute the sentence of Julius Jones, or wouldn't he? Turns out he just late till the very last minute. The Pardon and Parole Board recommended clemency for another death row inmate because it's clear that Oklahoma's execution method is cruel and unusual. What will happen there, we still don't know. Then there was the Rittenhouse verdict, a white 17-year-old found not guilty even though he took an assault rifle across state lines and shot people. If that isn't apocalyptic, I don't know what is. So what are we doing talking about Christ the King Sunday in the book of Revelation and what does that have to do with us? It seems, I don't know, out of step. But when we read this text, we find an audience in the same position as we are, not just about doom and gloom, not just that things are a mess, but also an audience that needed to be encouraged to keep going. The book of Revelation is offered as an alternative in contrast to empires that dehumanize, dominate, and exploit, Revelation is a story in which a king actually raises the status of his followers. And even as monarchical and triumphalist and authoritarian as the text sounds and as the imagery is, even though it sounds tyrannical to our ears, we take the text seriously enough to find and hold on to the meta-narrative that we trace throughout the entire New Testament, which is that to claim Jesus as one's Lord is to be in conflict with all other lords that would claim our allegiance, whether they be idols of economic success, social status, or simply apathy and personal safety. Ultimately, Revelation is both a word of encouragement for those who are suffering and a word of exhortation for Christians who acquiesce to the status quo in order to avoid any unpleasantness. Revelation assures its audience that if they keep doing the work of the gospel, love will see them through. 
There will be no more crying, no more tears, no more oppression, no injustice. Yes, things were terrible, but that is the very reason the church needed to be the church, clinging to the sure and certain hope that love would get them on the other side. So this morning, as is my practice on the last Sunday of the church calendar, and given that we are all too aware of everything that is not right with this world and in need of some hope, I share with you a letter of sorts that I wrote to this church. It isn't exactly in the same style of writing as John, but it is a pastoral epistle nonetheless. This is a blessing written to a very specific group of believers at a particular and challenging moment. My hope is that it does for us what Revelation was meant to do for those ancient churches, give a word of hope and challenge to keep working for the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So put both feet on the floor. Put your bulletin down for just a second, because obviously that's what you were looking at on your phone. <laughs> Drop your shoulders from around your ears and receive this blessing. Bless you, Mayflower, for being Mayflower. Biblically honest, justice-oriented, hymn-loving, mask-wearing, intellectually engaged, spiritually-minded, really curious, but a tick-cranky, heretics for the gospel. Bless you, Mayflower, for being the kind of church that puts their children on the front row for communion, for raising children who can somehow turn that tiny cup of communion juice into three gulps. Bless you, Mayflower, for having the wisdom to know that our children are our greatest teachers, so we are delighted to hear crying and giggling and the clink of colored pencils as they hit the ground and roll down the aisle. Bless you, Mayflower, for repeatedly presenting opportunities for your pastor to hone the skill of parsing language. I have been asked who knows how many times how this congregation has been so committed to the very conservative pandemic safety protocols we have in place. And like, how am I supposed to answer that question? What am I supposed to say in, that doesn't in some way imply that other congregations just aren't as theological or loving as this one? I mean, thank God I went to law school before seminary. Bless you, Mayflower, for your relentless generosity, which enabled the Benevolence Board to assist the on-the-ground work of Mayflower Medical Outreach, Neighborhood Services Organization, Focus on Home, Socks of Love, and supported Sisu Youth and the Food Pantry at Church of the Open Arms, and the wider church mission with the Kansas-Oklahoma Conference of the UCC, just to name a few. The Benevolence Board also regularly made sure that the pastor's discretionary fund had what it needed for people who call the office or walk up and knock on the door. 
between extra donations from the congregation and the Benevolence Board, the pastor's discretionary fund provided over $15,000 in assistance to those who needed bus tickets, groceries, and gas. It kept the lights on, the water from being cut off for others, and most of that assistance went to our neighbors who are elderly and on fixed incomes. We also paid for trauma therapy for folks who are uninsured. Thank you for enabling the staff to say yes to people who are hanging by a thread. Bless you, Mayflower, for being the church of yes, not just for its financial generosity that empowers us to help folks, but your generous theology I do not have to worry that anyone will complain about immigrants or Muslims when I say yes to requests for help in borrowing our church van to drive Afghan refugees to their Friday prayers. Instead, I just get to say, we can't think of a better use for our church van. Bless you, Mayflower, for knowing that throwing money at something isn't the only response to a request for help. Today, we announced that we are supporting an Afghan family resettle in Oklahoma City, and yes, we are getting everything they need for their apartment, but we are not stopping at things. We know that we are really called to be in relationship, so people will sign up to have this family over for dinner and to transport them to appointments and other places that they need to go. We will be in relationship not just for long as they need us, but for as long as they want us. Bless you, Mayflower, for letting me break the old rule that a newly hired minister shouldn't change anything for the first year. Upon telling my closest colleagues about our switch to a digital bulletin, one of them actually said, so you're trying to get fired in the first six months. I had all the arguments, theological, communal, environmental, financial, about why this was an important transition, yet all pastors know that sometimes doesn't matter at all. But you just leaned in right along with me. When planning the 74th annual interfaith Thanksgiving service, I told Father Tim and Rabbi Verit and Reverend Diana that we could do a special printed bulletin. We still are capable of it. But all of them rejected the offer at once. And Father Tim said, we have to do the digital bulletin, Lori, because otherwise, how will our people see that it won't cause the end of the world? Bless you, Mayflower, for being the kind of church where one ministry will clean off shelves to make room for another ministry. And I know that may sound like a very low bar, but there are very few things more coveted and protected than designated storage space in a church. <laughs> Who moved my cheese and all that? But last week, 363 cleared out space so that we could have rooms for items that will be going to the Afghan family we're supporting. Bless you, Mayflower, for taking care of the team that works so hard to help this church be everything it needs to be. Our core staff, Rick Bolin, Janet Boone, Stephen Christofferson, Joanna Goodwin, and Quint Williams, and our associate staff, Glenda Stansberry, Carolyn Sargent, and Amanda Girdler. While the staff 
knows you are grateful for their work, this congregation makes that gratitude concrete in so many ways. Being mindful of our days off, supporting sabbaticals, calling to check on us, pulling us aside to see if there's anything you can help with. And oh, those encouraging phone calls and emails and handwritten notes. Thank you. No, not everything is perfect. No, not everything is right. Not everything is at peace. Justice eludes us. The earth is too hot. Our tempers flare too easily. Violence seems to touch everything. But we hold fast to the hope that it will not be like this forever. For we are working on a different ending. Just like those churches in Revelation, they've simply passed the baton and it's our turn to see how much farther up the road we can get. There isn't a soul on this planet who couldn't use more blessing. So let's, let's keep it up, okay? Happy Thanksgiving, Mayflower. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m., with Sunday school classes for all ages at 10 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.